Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Dan Bowden, Chief Information Security Officer at Centara Health. In this segment, Bowden talks about the enormous task his team faced in providing security training to remote workers, how the organization's culture helped Centara bounce back financially, and why he believes having a solid identity-proofing strategy is more important than ever. Okay, so are you working from home? I am. I'm, I okay. am working from home. How about you? <laughs> yes, I am. But I, I usually do, so it hasn't really been a <laughs> change. And ah, are you okay. consistently home right now? Yes, so with our IT organization, and really anyone who's not patient-fair-focused, Mm-hmm. or directly supporting those who are, meaning that you need to go into a hospital to perform your duties. Really, it's almost a mandate to work from home. Mm-hmm. And the Commonwealth of Virginia, the governor put some pretty tough and important safety guidelines for employers in their facilities. And the way our IT building is laid out with so many people, it's uh, frankly impractical to try to bring those 900 people back into the building while figuring out how to adhere to the rules. Right. And where would you normally be based? So my office is in Virginia Beach. Okay. So as far as the transition, how did that go on the whole, just as far as having such a, a large group? You know, it's interesting. I think with healthcare, we had the telehealth side where, mm-hmm. and then we had for the workforce, you know, telework is the way we broke it down. Telehealth, uh, it's interesting. We had already been working through 2018 and 2019 on a new comprehensive capability for telehealth okay. that was integrated with our health record system, integrated with our mobile app. So we have mobile apps for our patients and our health plan members. And the challenge is always adoption of new technology, right? Uh, amidst the, I guess the, you'd call it the tragedy of COVID, it really, it shined a light on our capabilities for telehealth, where in January, February, we had two or 300 telehealth visits each of those months. The count between March 15th and April 15th was 60,000. Oh, wow. And we, we didn't have to build anything new for that. We had the capability. We were just waiting for someone to use it. But, you know, in terms of healthcare, you know, back then, especially March, this is before we knew what we know now, right, about equipment and PPE. But there was a huge concern about conserving PPE. So telehealth wasn't just the patient at home talking to their provider so they didn't have to come in. That really then evolved into within the facility. To conserve PPE, if the nurse or doctor can speak to the patient from the nurse's station or out in the hallway on an iPad, that conserves PPE and lowers the the consumption rate of that. And so we were ready to implement a lot. Now, we ended up being very blessed that the anticipated volumes, projected volumes in early March didn't play out. And um, Mm -hmm. hopefully things stay that way, right? But we did learn about a lot of our capabilities in terms of being able to, to serve patients. On the telework side, we sent home thousands of people, and a good chunk of those people weren't IT people and weren't used to working from home. And a lot of, you know, like for people who didn't work from home, you work from home normally, but 
a whole bunch yeah. of people, their lives were in chaos. Their kids' oh, school yeah. had shut down. They and their spouse were now home. They didn't have enough computers or internet connections. And so we said, you know, really thousands of people within just three or four weeks, either a device we gave them, a laptop that connected through a VPN, or we did Windows Virtual Desktop, but two or three core solutions. And the good news is we had some of the good security tools put in place ahead of time, like two-factor authentication and privilege access management on devices that helped us a lot. And so we were, in effect, largely prepared to do something like that, but had no idea it would happen like that. So it was, it was yeah. exciting, to say the least. And the organization said, you know, we invested all this uh, capability to get here. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with future waves. You know, as a health system, we don't want to be known for having outbreaks in our places of work. Let's just keep everybody working from home, right? So it's been it's been interesting. Oh, sure. Now, what about from a security standpoint? I, I can imagine that there were a, a lot of different challenges, but can you focus on, on that aspect of having all of a sudden people working remote who were not used to it? The biggest thing was actually training. So, <laughs> so my team, the security team was actually the very first team to go home. And I think just due to a little kind of a rumored concern about someone in our building having possibly being exposed, I immediately the next day sent my whole team home. And I want to say this was like March 10th. And I, I said, hey, you, you all go home right now, get all your tools working because there's going to be a flood of yeah. people. And so we actually, our team <laughs> actually did help desk work because a whole bunch of people just didn't know how to attach to the VPN. You know, they had a yeah. device that was configured to do so, but they, well, where is this AnyConnect icon? And then right. after I do that, how do I authenticate? How do I put in my two-factor passcode? And, oh, yeah. and so it was, I would say, in March and a good chunk of April, a lot of just training how to do it. On the security front, I mean, I'm blessed to work with a great IT organization. We partner very closely. And so there weren't any urgent sort of gymnastics, security gymnastics we needed to do. We had the core tools in place. It was just making sure we we scaled those out as we expanded our capabilities. So if we were going to blow out a whole bunch of new Windows virtual desktops, we did the same standard configurations and things like that. And so that, that was the good news. We work with a really good IT organization. And so we kind of baked these standards. And the good news is we were able to roll those out quickly without having to make sort of unnecessary allowances. The challenges we had security-wise, it's, uh, you know, getting patches deployed is hard under normal circumstances. Yeah. And I, I credit our IT and security teams. We maintain a very robust and aggressive patching program. And we had to modify our scheduling because when you're working from home, we found access to test environments was different and more challenging. And then timing of resources, because in a health system, when you increase your bed capacity, like ICU bed capacity, all of those changes to those rooms, even though someone may say, well, those are just physical changes to the rooms, that cascades back into the technology that supports those for grabbing results and charting in the health record yeah. system. So 
these people who normally have a certain amount of time set to help us get patches deployed, you know, March and April, they were flipping our health system over for brand new COVID-19 capabilities. And so we had to modify our patching schedule and say, okay, we're, we're going to do things a little bit differently. And really it was only 60 days. I actually had relayed up the chain, hey, our patching schedule is going to be different clear until the middle of July. And really by the first part of June, everybody was like, you know, we kind of already went back to the normal, the normal way by now. So that was probably the most interesting challenge we had was, was managing that. And it still is right. Because now, because devices are traveling around, we are having to put more effort into where is it when there's a Windows 10 patch, are those mm-hmm. all getting out, running robust reporting, things like that. So I'm one of those CISOs that blessed to work with a great IT organization, have great leadership support. So while there was a lot of long days and hard work, I, I didn't feel like I, I was having to push any new initiatives. Uh, in the midst of all all that stress and change that was going on. Right, right. And as far as having that delay in patch end quicker than, than it was expected, uh, I'm sure that that really must speak to the team and to the way that things are done. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot of, I think I'm a, a benefactor of good organizational culture. You know, no no place is perfect. And so I'm not I'm not going to try to say Centera is, but one of my favorite things about Centera, there some places that they get stuff done just because they say they're going to. And Centera is one of those, right? And so yeah, yeah. even in the midst of uh, a lot of stress and anxiety, they came right out and said, hey, here are some things that are going to be hard. We're going to have to get through some hard things people are going to be subjected to for a while. But this is the plan. We're going to do this. We're going to come out better on the other end. And that's at a high level. And it it, it comes all the way down through the organization. And so I I was really blessed to to be in that situation as a CISO. I just benefited where I think some CISOs either it's real or or they perceive they're the only ones fighting for the the cause of risk management, right? And um, (laughs) while I don't really believe that anymore, that exists anymore in any organization. I think everyone wants to help with cybersecurity. I'm I'm blessed where I, I get actual overt support. I, I don't have to go go beg for it. So it's very right. nice. Okay. Did you have to um or are you dealing with any kind of situations where maybe policies had to be relaxed due to just having to roll things out quickly or was that not really an issue? You know, what's interesting, I don't know that they had to be relaxed as much as maybe ones we didn't look at as hard before because the people weren't utilizing it as aggressively. So the work from home policy, the remote work policy, it was the 2019 version of it. It was there were the parts about configurations and security, but then it was also there was sort of an HR aspect of it of managing productivity expectations. And so we, both sides got reviewed, right? Where, okay, now we've really got to go dot. Did we check every single little security thing off in that policy and standards to make sure everything's locked down? And then you obviously had team leaders who were like, all right, how am I going to manage collaboration? Do I need to set expectations? And so rolling out Teams, Microsoft Teams, rolling out other capabilities and collaboration tools so that people can can get comfortable with this new mode of working with your team where you're not in the same building and who knows, you might be 
separated by a couple of states or time zones with people now. And and yeah. how do we we still make that feel as close to first person in real time as possible? So that was that was one of the big ones we spent a lot of time kind of going back and forth on. Do we need to uplift this? Did we miss anything? So it was uh, it, it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah, sure. As far as the, the financial impact, can you get get into uh, what you're looking at there as far as uh, remediation? Wow, you know every single health system, and if you go look, I think Becker's Hospital Review website has been keeping an ongoing tally, right, of some of the health mm-hmm. systems and uh, not just the numbers, but also the impact of of having to lay off people or furlough people. And and Santera, back in early May, things look pretty dire. And if you go look at their press releases um, about Santera's actions around that and for a time frame, executive team taking pay cuts and, you know, managing paid leave and and obviously just trimming up any OPEX that we could. But the the awesome thing with Centera is we come out of it the other side, I think, very well considering all the circumstances. We've come out the other side. We were able to complete one merger with another health insurance company. And then we also announced in September a letter of intent on another merger with a considerably sized health system in North Carolina. And so I think that tells you something about Centera. You know, back to my point about the leadership and the we do what we say we're going to do uh, mentality. That's the culture and what I witnessed in the way things have worked out in, in 2020. And now thinking back to, uh, you know, the world before COVID and the world after COVID, when you think about what it takes to really maintain a, a strong security program, what do you think are, are some of the keys there? It's interesting. What I have learned about what I like that we have and things we I want us to improve on, I think identity. I've always been kind of negative on our sort of national cultural view of validating identity. And I think we've mm-hmm. all known it's kind of weak, you know, with the state driver's license real ID initiative where you can't get on an airplane anymore without a real ID verified state driver's license or a passport. And yeah. I think, you know, what we've learned is identity proofing is crucial. It was it was a challenge in person when we were onboarding, uh, you know, new workforce members or vendors. And now we're in a world where I may be onboarding people I never meet in person. And so just those simple measures of, okay, give me a driver's license and social security number, I worry and I think has been tested that aren't good enough. We're going to go to some model where maybe I I request a little more friction when we first meet in our relationship. So let's say Kate came to work at Centera and instead of uh, only asking you for driver's license or social security number, maybe I also mm-hmm. say, hey, Kate, uh, do you mind? I'm going to walk you through some of these Experian financial validation questions, just like you get mm-hmm. when you call your bank about a mortgage, right? Yeah. And right. we'll we'll do, do two or three of those. And we'll also ask for a credit card number. And then we'll also do some kind of biometric, like your retinas or, or iris scan, right? So I, I slow things down a little bit in the beginning, but the trade-off I'll offer you is I'll say, okay, Kate, 
I appreciate giving me that. We'll issue a certified device to you. And as we start modeling your behavior on our network, when you're in our trusted networks in our facilities, I never ask you for a password. And so I'm, I'm removing friction later in our relationship, right? When we first met, yeah. there was a little bit of friction getting onboarded, but later I'm going to remove that. And then yeah, when sure. you go work from home, you know, I'll ping you with a couple of second factor authentication verifications yeah. to make sure that's really you. But when I find you're always in that location and we have some way to do some behavior-based access control and authentication, I'll say, hey, Kate, is that home? Is that a trusted a trusted location? And if so, then maybe we don't, we don't do the second factor there anymore. But yeah. uh, anytime I find your credentials and your device separate, guess what? You know, now all of a sudden yeah. there's going to be some, some friction getting onto the network and right, some right. additional factors of, of validation. But I think that the interesting incidents I have seen, some of the fraud, some of the account takeover things, there's often an, an aspect of identity spoofing or identity fraud involved. And so I'm really keen on better identity solutions, better identity proofing, and eventually a transportable digital identity that I think will also be leveraged across a lot of business use cases. You know, make your experience with us as a patient or a plan member better, give you better control over your patient data. I think in finance, it can be used for your financial records, your children's education records. I think the opportunities are all, all over the place for that if we can get to a better, a better trusted digital and, and transportable digital identity. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.